Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Okay, friends, when you're able, would you please grab a Bible with me and open for one final time in our series on 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Except for our breaks during Lent and Advent and our summer in the Psalms, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians since September the 12th, 2021. And so for the 44th time, we open up 1 Corinthians to look at this letter. Remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written to a church that was a total mess, much like this church, much like my own heart. They had questions about divisions in the church. They had issues of sexual immorality. They had questions about worship and how to do the Lord's Supper and who should come to the Lord's Supper. And they had questions about tongues. And all of these things, Paul says, are to be marked chiefly by love. And so as you read the final words of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, I'd invite you to stand with me. I'll read from verse 5 down through verse 24. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. It is given to you in love. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the others, but with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila, And Prisca, together with the church in their house, sends you hearty greetings in the Lord. And all the brothers send you greeting. And greet one another with a holy kiss. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you. Be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. I have to be honest that when we come to the very end of an epistle like 1 Corinthians, it is really tempting to just skip over the final parts because what kind of meat is here? But I would dare to challenge um, you, as the Lord challenged me this week, that there is a lot of juice in these verses. Meat. Things to learn. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the overview of what Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Corinth as he lands the plane for them. And then I'm going to show you 11 things that come out of this passage. I just killed Joanne's one-point picture, but um, here we are. There are 11 things that I, as I prayed for you, I thought Trinity Presbyterian Church in reading this text needs to hear. And so here we go. Ephesus was directly across the Aegean Sea from Corinth. And Paul says that he could have taken a boat directly to them, but he said, no, I want to go through Macedonia, which means he goes all the way up to Macedonia before he catches the boat over the Aegean Sea to Corinth. He had more people to encourage, and he wanted to spend time with them. Pastor Paul in verses 5 to 7 teach us the first thing we learn. Number one is that Corinth needed time to practice, apply, and work out the message of this letter. They needed time to apply, practice, and work out the message of this letter. Paul could have just said, hey guys, here's a podcast. Would you listen to this? Hey, here are 17 steps on how to have a better church. But he says, I want to come to you. And I don't just want to come to you. I want to dwell with you. I want to live among you again. And Church of the Lord Jesus at Trinity, would you please hear me? The one thing that we have the privilege of being together is a people who can spend time together to help work out the message of this book together. In community groups, in your own families, with your friends, in AM Discipleship on, on Sunday morning. We need time together. So please, in your haste, don't just blow through the importance of putting your nose in the book together with other brothers and sisters, like the men do on Wednesday morning at Panera, and say, oh, Holy Spirit, would you help us to have time together to apply, to work out the message of this letter? Paul was not just giving them highfalutin theology. He was trying to be as relational as, and pastoral as he possibly could be. Does that mark your life? Are you, fathers, patient with your family to help them learn how to apply the gospel? Wives, are you patient with your children to help them learn how to apply the gospel? We need time. What is it that Paul said that the Corinthians were not, and therefore that's how he defined what love should be? First of all, love is patient. Are we? 
Paul wanted to dwell with them over the course of the winter. You can read all about this if you want to in Acts 19 through 20. This is when Paul was in Ephesus. This is when he was going to Achaia, which is another name for the word Corinth. When you read of the word Achaia in the book of Acts, that's also a synonym for the region around Corinth. So Pastor Paul knew Corinth needed time to practice and apply and work out the message of the letter. That's number one. Number two, verses seven and eight. Paul made plans, but he held loose all of his plans in order to respond to God's providence. God works all things according to his will, Ephesians 1 tells us. In James chapter 4, verse 15, it says, If God wills, we will do this or that. In Job 121, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 115, verse 3. As I prayed earlier, God knows the orbit of every star in the sky. He knows every wayward balloon, whatever the balloon is. He knows where they all are. And his providence is perfect. You ever, have you ever taught your children or, or walked through the Shorter Catechism, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism? There's a question there. How does God execute his decrees? He executes his decrees through the works of creation and providence. And then a follow-up question is, what is God's providence. And if you know the catechism, you know that God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. The wiggles in the chairs right now, the, sn the sniffles that you have at this very moment, the cough that I will undoubtedly have before the sermon is over. Those are, he's in charge of it all. He knows it all. And he knows you. So Paul made plans. He had very intentional plans, but he held them loose. And I just wonder, I wonder if some of you might need to hold a little looser your plans. If the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. We plan to be in a building. If the Lord wills, please. We plan to be there at a certain date, if the Lord wills. But he knows what's best. We submit all of our life to his providence. Secondly, verse 9, thirdly. But I will stay in Ephesus, verse 8. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me. <laughs> and there are many adversaries. I love it. If the Lord permits, we'll do this. And Paul says, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, was the Feast of Weeks. It was described in Leviticus chapter 23. It was the grain harvest celebration that happened 50 days after Passover. And so Paul is writing between Passover and Pentecost from Ephesus. And he says, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. And why is he going to stay here? Because there's lots of ministry. And the third thing we learn is that effective ministry is always accompanied by adversity. 
There are rare seasons when we may not see that adversity as directly as others, but it's always accompanied by adversity. Don't you love it? I love it. In Acts chapter 19, Paul talks about some of that adversity when he says in verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This was when he was in Ephesus. So that not even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. That's pretty effective ministry. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered them all. And then later on it says, Paul, as he ministers in Ephesus, not only there was demonic oppression, there was people being healed by just touching the handkerchiefs that Paul had touched, these amazing miracles of God to communicate his truth in this city of Ephesus. And then there arose a disturbance of those who followed the way. And there was a man named Demetrius, the silversmith, who led a revolt. And so eventually Paul was rushed out of town. Listen, this, this weekend we were going to a basketball game for one of our kids, and we started talking about whether or not there are places where you could go where there's no gravity. Like, are there places, are there like anti-gravity chambers? Because our son went, really thought that'd be cool to go to, one of our little sons. And, and, and we began to talk about how Lauren, who's far smarter than I am, says, you know, you, if you lived with anti-gravity for very long, your bones would turn spongy because there's a thing called osteoblast. I hope it's okay I talk about this. Osteoblasty, which is the process by which your bones are made stronger because of the presence of gravity. That's why astronauts have to exercise in space because if you don't have the adversity of gravity, your bones would turn into sponges. They would lose their rigidity because of osteoblasty. That is part of the way God created our bodies. Our bones were made to grow stronger in the midst of adversity, and so is your faith. So is it any wonder to us that with effective ministry, there's going to be adversity? You're going to have elders whose wives have broken bones or who get cancer or who experience tragedy and difficulty. You're going to have deacons who, I know I'm not doing a very good job recruiting people to be elders or deacons, but it's just the truth. There are people who are going to come up in, with incredible, incredible challenges. And what you need to do for them is pray for them. Please. If there's anything you do for this church, would you pray for the elders of this church? And pray for the deacons. And pray for me. Our marriages and our family. Pray for Caleb and Maggie Harlan when they do the work at TU. Pray for them. Because with effective ministry, there is great adversity. Verse 11 and 12. Paul says, When Timothy comes to you, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. But let nobody despise him. Help him on his way in peace. Take care of this young leader, which shows us that fourthly, leaders, especially young leaders, need help and encouragement. This was true for Timothy, and it was also true for Paul. Would you please pray for your leaders? A point I've already made, but I will make again. 
young men in this church, the Holy Spirit has equipped you with gifts that this church needs, and don't you for a second think you're too young to use them. And older brothers in this church, you have had decades and decades of ministry experience. Would you please pray for and encourage the younger leaders in this church? Fifth, in verse 12, Paul defended Apollos. This is the man who they stacked him up against as a better preacher, Apollos. He defended Apollos and encouraged the Corinthians to be patient. Paul could have said nothing about Apollos. Yeah, you know, he could have said, now concerning our brother Apollos, yeah, he's really not that good of a preacher, is he? I mean, he's not a very good pastor because I urged him to come visit you, but he didn't come because he said he had more important things. Now, Paul says, listen, I encouraged him to come to you, but he had something else he needed to do first. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be patient with him. And I just, I just love, I love meeting with pastors in this city on Wednesday mornings to pray. But guys who are just pastors of Baptist churches or non-denominational churches in this town, we pray together. And we just pray and encourage each other. And we ought to do the same thing. You ought to have friends at other churches that you say to them, this is what the Lord is doing. And you don't say it because you're trying to say, oh, well, we are building a building. Repent of that kind of stuff, man. Jesus is at work in this church in a powerful way. But don't ever let it make you self-righteous. Let it make you humble. And know brothers and sisters from other churches and get your arms around them. Brothers and sisters who you may not even know why the Methodists do things methodically or why the Baptists baptize only by immersion, but know these brothers. Know what makes them unique in their proclamation of the gospel and have deep friendships with them. Paul defended his brother Apollos. And may we also care for all those who profess the name of Jesus in this city. Number one, Pastor Paul knew that Corinth needed time to practice and apply the wor and work out the message of the letter. Two, Paul made plans, but he held them loosely to respond to God's providence. Number three, effective ministry is always accompanied by adversity. Number four, leaders, especially young leaders, need help and encouragement. Number five, Paul defended Apollos, somebody they wanted to pit as a competition with him, and he encouraged Corinth to be patient as they waited for him. Sixth, verse 13. Mm, I love this verse. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It's, just, it's those Paul's just writing these letters. This is what I plan to do. Be careful for Paul. And then all of a sudden, boom, wake up. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the things of old. For I am God and there is no other, Isaiah says in Isaiah 48. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning and from ancient times things still to come. I call a man from afar and I summon a daughter from the ends of the earth. Everyone whom I made and I formed for my glory. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Stand firm in the faith. Recall what he has done in the past. Be watchful. 
in Mark 13, 37. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, you do not know the day or the hour for stay awake. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Acts 20, in Ephesus, Paul leaves the elders with final words, and he says to the elders in chapter 20, Therefore, be alert, O elders. Brothers, hear this. Be alert. Remembering that for three years it did not cease day or night to admonish everybody with tears, and I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Heads up that there are sheep who are prowling amidst wolves. Protect the sheep from the wolves. Be alert. Alert, being ready, firmness in your faith, boldness, courage, maturity, strength, and love, they go together. It is like a kaleidoscope of grace. They all go together. You want to show me somebody who's growing more courageous? I'll also show you somebody who at the same time that the fruit of the Spirit is real in their life is also growing more tender and loving. They go together. When it says act like men, it means that you are to boast in God, not in your good deeds. You are to boast in Him. This is not saying that you are to go get a gym membership and work out. It's not saying that you're to pump iron with your brothers. It's not saying that you're supposed to wear a certain kind of clothing or you're supposed to, you know, be wild at heart. What this is saying is don't be like children. Act like adults. Boast only in me. Twice in the Old Testament, he called the Philistines. He said the Philistines acted like men. And they defeated Israel. And then he calls Israel to act like men in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, 10. And Israel defeated their enemies. They acted like men because they boasted not in themselves, but they boasted in the work of God. So Trinity, be strong. Next, verses 15 through 17. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, that is in Corinth, they were, uh, they were probably the elders of the church. Those in Stephanus' household were probably the ones who led the church. And he says in verse 16, be subject to such as these. And so we say to, to each other, be subject to the elders of this church and give recognition to your leaders. That's what God's word says. I don't say it to you because I'm an elder. I say it to you because I've been called by the Holy Spirit to teach what God's word says. We mutually submit to each other under the elders of the church. So would you do it? Would you pray for these brothers? And would you pray for the Lord to continue to raise up brothers in the future to help lead and guide our church? In verse 19, it says that we are to worship. We do worship with brothers and sisters around Oklahoma and the world. And we're to take heart that we are not the only ones meeting in a house church or a gymnasium or even in a building one day. But there are other brothers who are meeting in far more squalid environments, and they are singing with a joy that would stagger your imagination. The church in Ukraine hearing bombs in the distance, singing, praising God for his presence among them. The church in Nigeria facing persecution, singing and praising God for his work among them. 
it says the churches of Asia send you greeting, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church that's meeting in their house. This was the church in Ephesus. Verse 20, we are to greet other believers with hugs and handshakes and fellowship. We greet each other with a holy kiss. A holy kiss was the way that we would show affection to each other. You kiss each other on the cheek and say, you're so glad to see you. It was a way of saying we are reconciled. We are brothers. And before you come to the table up here this morning, my friends, if there is someone in this room with whom you're not reconciled, you need to run to them and pursue reconciliation or a time to pursue reconciliation lest you come and spurn the word of God by saying that I am right with brothers in my life or sisters when really I'm not. Let's be people of integrity as we come to the table. Number 10, verse 22. It says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let them be accursed. Love for the Lord is the mark of covenant blessings and not loving the Lord is a mark of his covenant curses. And we are to yearn and pray for these covenant kids, some of whom have walked away and are experiencing will experience the covenant curses if they don't believe. And we are to yearn and pray. And they're some of your children. We know them by name. And we are praying for them. We love them. And we want them to be able to feel welcome in this church always. They're welcome here. But they won't feel welcome if it's a room full of self-righteous people. The love for the Lord is the mark of the covenant blessing. And then finally, the 11th thing, the verse 22. Paul says, Maranatha. Come, Lord, come. Maranatha was an Aramaic word that was transliterated into Greek. It means that Christians should always be praying for Christ to return and soon. We should be watchful. We should be waiting. We should say, Maranatha. Jesus, come and make everything new. And the beauty of this passage is that this is not just a list of exhortations for Paul. But he says in verse 23, here it is, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The only power you have possibly to obey anything in God's word is because the grace of the Lord Jesus is with you. That you don't obey his word to get his grace. You obey his word because you have it. And because Christ, who was the ultimate sacrifice for us, who God, throughout the, all of the Old Testament, he passed over sins, Romans 3, 25, previously committed, and he put them on Christ. David's sin with Bathsheba, he put on Christ. Your sin today, he put on Christ. Christ died for our sins so that we might be covered with an alien righteousness and given a new nature. Hallelujah. We are given a new nature in Jesus, and so it transforms everything about us. So it's easy for us to be able to give to the collection to Jerusalem, as he talks about in the first part of chapter 15. It's easy, 16, it's easy for us to be able to look for opportunities and say we're going to respond in obedience to these opportunities, as he does in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 16. It's easy for us to say we're going to pray for our elders because, Jesus, you've given us everything. You've in your very presence. We're going to pray for our elders. It is easy for us to defend those who may appear to be in competition with us because they're not. We are bought together by the blood of the Lamb and may a thousand flowers bloom. Tulsa, Oklahoma needs hundreds of more churches planted in this city. And may they all flourish where there's the preaching of the gospel. Because of the grace of Christ, 
Young leaders are able to use their gifts even when they are remarkably young, like Timothy. And we should encourage them and not discourage them. We should submit ourselves to the elders of this church because the Lord has ordained the governing of his church to be according to his word. And these brothers don't think they're better than you. They actually think they're more sinful. <laughs> they're, so, they're self-aware. And they have the hard task of helping you walk in the truth of the gospel. It's because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And so, therefore, love ought to mark us as a people. If the Lord permits, we as a church could be a church like this. And as you prepare to come to the table this morning, would you say, oh, Lord, if you permit, would you allow me to give of all of my life to you, whatever the cost, and would you allow me to lay down my arms of aggression or of competition or of possessiveness of the things that you've given me as though they really were yours in the first place? God has given you everything you have to be his steward. And would you help us, Lord Jesus, to turn from the broken cisterns that we have hewn from ourselves, as Jeremiah says. When the Lord says through Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They have turned from my grace. And they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And would you turn from your broken cisterns and would you come to his body and blood at this table? And would you allow Jesus to show you that his grace is indeed with you as we come to the Lord's table this morning and as he encourages you through these means of grace to strengthen you. And would you pray for your fellow brothers and sisters in this church? And would you come and be a part of a community group if you're not? Would you lean into the community of faith? Would you prioritize worship on Sunday because God transforms us through corporate renewal together in gathered worship as his covenant people? Even through 11-point sermons at the very end of 1 Corinthians, he can do it. Oh, Lord, if you permit, would you make us the church that is beautiful, where the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is present among us, and would your love be with each of us all. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.